Amen. You may, thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, we're, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to Exodus chapter 4. So I realize that there would be some people uh, who maybe today is your first day with us, or uh, maybe uh, it's been a long time since you've been with us, the first time in a long time. Um, we have been working our way through the book of Exodus, and uh, we are in the second half of the book of, uh, second half of chapter number four. Uh, the beginning of chapter number three, Moses meets the burning bush where he receives this call from God that says, I'm going to use you as the one to save my people from, uh, or to, to pull my people from the land of Egypt. Moses kind of pushes back on that and says, I'm not, not me. And he gives God all kinds of excuses, which last week we looked at the first half of chapter four, which is where God gives these incredible assurances to Moses that no you are the man throw that staff down and it becomes a serpent takes his hand and puts it inside his cloak and pulls it back out it's got leprosy puts it back in and it's healed again when Moses says but my mouth he says well I'll be with your mouth he says I'm just not the one send someone else God says I'll send you with your brother Aaron that's what where we ended last week halfway through chapter number four as we get into this second half of chapter number four, um, I have, for those of you that attend regularly, you know this, this isn't anything new. I, uh, I write my sermon out and I come in and I preach it uh, to an empty auditorium. And I was here yesterday uh, preaching to an empty auditorium. I do that just because it helps me think through it. And yesterday I went, uh, when I got home, I went for a brief run and, uh, well, more of a jog, you know, let's just be honest here. Uh, I wouldn't keep up with, Amy uh, so I went for a for a jog and while I was running um, the Lord began speaking to me and basically said okay Brian tomorrow shut the notes and just talk and I think the Lord said that because um, I've probably spent about 40 hours in preparation for this one sermon just a lot of study because because inside of the second half of Genesis, of Exodus chapter four are three verses that people say, uh, that theologians say are some of the strangest verses in the entire Bible. Probably verses that if you and I were to read, we would just read right through it as fast as we could because we don't understand it and we don't really feel like it's all that necessary to understand because they're so weird. But the Lord has, has kept me there and I have just continued to try to uncover and it's been like peeling an onion and just trying to find the truths that are there. And I feel like, I feel like my head is just so full that if I tried to stay on an outline, I think I, I, think I would, but uh, I just want the Lord to say what the Lord wants to say from what we've, what we've learned so far. So you'll notice behind me, the title of the sermon today is The Blood Applied which is the name of the song we just sang. Thank you, Miss Carolyn, for making that uh, happen. But underneath it says the echoes of Exodus because what we're not doing is just reading Exodus for what it says. We're looking to see where are there echoes of this story of Exodus that run throughout the scripture. And so that's what we're gonna try to keep our theme on today. Let's begin in verse number 18. It says, Moses went back. Now, this is after the burning bush experience. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go. Hmm. What does that sound like? Something that Moses is going to say in just a 
short time. Let us go. He's talking to his father-in-law and he says, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Is it interesting to you that Moses doesn't say, let me go back to Egypt because God just met me at a burning bush and he made me take my shoes off and then I threw my staff on the ground and became a serpent and then my hand became leprous and like God really wants me to do this. I'm going to lead the people out of Israel. He doesn't say that. He says, I just want to see if my brothers are alive. Okay. And Jethro gives this answer to Moses, go in peace. Now, this is an echo because this is what is Pharaoh is meant to say when Moses approaches him and says, let me go. All right, do people want to go? The name of Yahweh says, go, go, just go in peace. That is not what Pharaoh is going to say. So we have this echo that's, that's working our way forward here in this verse. Let's keep reading verse number 19. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who are seeking your, who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. Now, Again, I, I'm not assuming everyone in here is this, has this great knowledge of the entire narrative of Scripture, but if you do know a portion of the life of Jesus, we have an echo. Because what Moses is doing is Moses is being sent back to Egypt. Moses escaped out of Egypt, and he's being sent back to Egypt now that those who seeking your life are dead. If you remember, when Jesus was born, there was a king that went after all the babies in the land, and so an angel told Joseph, who was Jesus' father, go to Egypt and escape. And they lived in Egypt for a time. And then an angel came and said to, to Joseph, after a short time, it was probably about two years, it's okay for you to return to Israel because those who were seeking your life are dead. In fact, if you read the Greek from the New Testament and the Greek that was translated from the Old Testament, what we find is the angel that was speaking to Joseph in the New Testament was using the words right here. That God said to Moses, go back. The men who were seeking your life are dead. So there's this echo. But this leads us to this really, really cool understanding of how the life of Moses and the life of Jesus are interconnected with the nation of Israel. So again, again I, I, I realize not every one of you are going to be in here and following and tracking this, this because, because maybe it's just a little bit too much. But I, I want to tell you, Israel has this story. Israel was in Egypt. They were freed from Egypt. They went across the Red Sea and they spent a lot of time wandering in the wilderness. And then they eventually made it into the promised land. So Israel starts under the oppression of a king. They escape through water into a wilderness and eventually to the promised land. Moses and Jesus' life in an individual way live out what the nation of Israel did. Moses had to flee for his life from a, a king. He leaves Egypt. 
Moses is taken out of the water. He's saved out of the water as a baby in the Nile River. Moses spends 40 years in the wilderness and Moses is meant to lead Israel into the promised land. So we're like, we see Moses' life is just a microcosm of the nation of Israel. But so is Jesus. There was an oppressive king that was trying to come and take Jesus' life He escapes to Egypt, but he comes out of Egypt. And we know that Jesus is placed into the waters of baptism in the Jordan. And that's where the father comes and says, this is my son. He's brought out of the waters and he immediately goes to the baptism or he immediately goes to the wilderness after his baptism. And what's the whole purpose of Jesus coming? Well, to lead us to the true promised land. So we have... We have Moses' life, we have Jesus' life, and they're living out what this nation of Israel is is going to take place. And so when we read this, what we're reading, oh wow, so what Moses is experiencing, he's actually a little bit ahead of what is taking place in Israel. But here's one really important distinction between Moses' life and Jesus' life, and you gotta follow this. Moses goes into Egypt and he brings the people out of their physical oppression. He leads them across the water. He leads them through the wilderness. He leads them not into the promised land himself because he died, but he leads them to the brink of the promised land so that they could go in. What's different about Jesus's life? Jesus escapes to Egypt, but who does he bring with him out of Egypt? No one. You know why? Because Israel has already been freed from Egypt, from the world. Israel Israel is already living in the promised land. In fact, if you think about it, Jesus had to escape from the promised land so that his life could be saved. And now Jesus leaves Egypt not taking anybody with him. He leaves Egypt to go to the promised land where people are once again enslaved and oppressed, but they're not enslaved and oppressed by an Egyptian pharaoh. They're enslaved and oppressed by sin. And what Jesus' life is doing is he is saying, you've been saved from Pharaoh, you've been put into the promised land, but you've turned yourself away from God, you don't love God, you don't care about God, you're living lives for yourselves, and I am here to free you from the oppression of sin in order to bring you to the promised land that God has for you. And what's the promised land God has for us? It is not heaven The promised land God has awaiting his people is not heaven. The promised land God has awaiting for his people is his presence. If God were to be in the fiery pits of what we call hell, that would become heaven. If, if, if heaven, if golden streets and pearly gates were absent the presence of God, that would be hell. God is wanting us to understand our promised land is not way off one day when we die we have been promised abundant eternal life today because you have the presence of God within you if you are a believer the spirit of God lives in you and that's what Jesus came to do this is taking me way too long sorry let's go on the end of verse 20 
See, this is what happens when you don't have notes to stick to. You just start talking. The end of verse 20 says, And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Here's so interesting. Last week, if you were here last week, there was this question. God asked Moses, what's in your hand? His answer, a staff. But look what's in his hand now. The staff of God. It is amazing. It is amazing, church, when we let go of what we want to hold on to so tightly. It is amazing what God can do with what we give to him. You, you're probably, every one of you could think of something that you say, well, you know, I'll be real honest. This is just something I hold on to a little tightly, whether it's, whether it's my job, whether it's my, my family, whether it's my, my money, whether it's my possessions, whether it's my, my time and my priorities. You know, we, we can make excuses, and I'm sure that we do. For every Sunday morning, we can make excuses why we shouldn't be here. We all could. But one of the things that God desires for a church family is that he wants us to grow with one another in him. That's why we're the church of God. And that there are men of God and there are women of God. Now there's just men who show up and there's women who show up, but then there are men of God because it's like we've given everything over to him. And when we give everything over to him, what we find is that what he has in return is so much greater than what we could ever get ourselves. I, I have a few friends and, 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 and we're going through what would be discipleship and, and we're, we're working through a book called The Gospel Primer. And this, this past week, one of the, one of the men, and talked and he said yeah I, we just did a lesson on self-love and the world is all about self-love self-care self-use self-everything and this this primer was about self-love and it said you know we are convinced that we we can love ourselves better than anyone else can love us well because we know ourselves best and we know what we want best and we know what's going to make us the happiest self-love but the gospel speaks into that because what the gospel says is jesus own words there is no greater love than a man lay down his life for his friends hey i'm just gonna be honest with you if you lay down your life for someone else that is the exact opposite of self-love but that's what Jesus did for us. He laid his life down for us and said, I know that you think no one can love you greater than yourself, but you're wrong. I love you more than you could ever love yourself. And if we ever were to understand the selfless love of God, then we would be freed from having to love ourselves and we would be freed to loving others. I realize we have to take care of our bodies and we should take care of our bodies. And God has worked a Sabbath rest into the schedule of our lives. But he's also called us into service for him. And that service is lay down your life for others the way I laid my life down for you.
Sometimes we just, I'll be honest, I just really struggle with that. I love to take care of myself and get myself what myself wants. I shouldn't talk in the third person, that's so stupid. Uh, let's go on. Verse 27. We're skipping, we're skipping the weird verses. We're gonna, we're gonna come back to them. Verse 27. It says, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Then Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people and the people believed. I'm gonna pause right there. From the beginning of what we just read here, starting in verse 27, all the way until that first phrase in verse 31, this is simply a fulfillment of what God has already told Moses would happen. Hey, Aaron's going to meet you. He's going to be really glad that he sees you. You're going to you're going to gather the elders. You're going to speak to Aaron. Aaron's going to speak to the elders. You're going to do the signs and wonders and they will believe. So right up to the right up to that exact spot, everything is simply a fulfillment of what God has already said. What's new is the end of verse 31. It says, And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. And here's what really caught my attention. Nothing had changed. They were going to wake up tomorrow morning to make bricks for Pharaoh. They were still enslaved. They were still oppressed. They were still, they still had taskmasters over them, but, and nothing had changed. But now, they're worshiping. So if nothing changed, what changed? Well, everything changed when Moses showed up to say, hey, God sees you. And in the middle of their conditions, in the middle of their struggles, the, this, the knowledge, just the understanding that, oh, God sees me. Thank you. I know I'm still in slavery. I understand that. I, I know I'm going to wake up tomorrow and make bricks. But to know, God, that you see me, it makes all the difference in the world. Okay, I'll be honest with you. I know that there's people in the, in the room today who are very weary. God sees you. And he sent someone. It wasn't Moses. It was Jesus. And here's what Jesus said. Hey, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. I'll bring you rest. There's some of you that are broken. And you know what Jesus came to say? As he opened the scroll of Isaiah in Luke 4, he said, I have come to bind the brokenhearted. Some of you are sick. 
I'll be honest, some of you are dying. Some of you, your, your lives are stretched so far as you care for loved ones who, whose, whose physical abilities are just waning and you feel so stretched trying to do everything that God has called you to do. And I'm just here to remind you, I, I can't change your conditions, but I can tell you this, he sees you. He's with you. That's why Jesus came. And the prophet said, when he comes, we'll call him Emmanuel. Because God is with you. And when Jesus, Emmanuel, went back to heaven and we think, oh no, he's gone. I thought he came to be with us. You know what he did is he sent the spirit of God to live within us to bring us comfort to remind us, bless you, that we are very loved. The worship of these Jews was not motivated by their condition because they were still slaves. Their worship was motivated by God's recognition. When you stand to sing praises, when you open your Bible with a heavy heart and it leads you to say, God, I'm, I'm in a place where I don't want to be. I just need to know that you see me he does and that should lead our hearts to great worship okay ready for the weirdness i think put a seatbelt on because this gets strange verse 21 so we're skipping back a little bit we just finished the chapter now we're going to skip back to just take this middle portion that is really strange it says and the lord said to moses when you go back to egypt see that you do before pharaoh all the miracles that i have put in your power but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. This is nothing new. God has already told, God has already told Moses, go to Pharaoh. He's already told Moses, you'll do these signs. And he's already told Moses, he's going to harden his heart. We're going to talk about what it means that God hardens his heart when, when that actually takes place. Verse 22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. I've got to pause right there because that makes no sense. Israel's a nation. So God says, Israel is my firstborn son. It makes no sense, but it really is important to understand firstborn. Now, we live in a context that we're not, in, we're not living as the Jews did thousands and thousands of years ago. So what we're going to listen to about firstborn is going to sound like favoritism. It's not. You can't, you can't take 21st century thinking and, and apply it to the Bible right over it. It doesn't work that way. We're, we're trying to figure out what did it mean back then, okay? So here's what, here's what God says. Israel is my firstborn son. The firstborn son was the son who got a double inheritance. He had a place of prominence. He received the blessing from the father, and he became the namesake. So like it would pass. You ever read the Bible where it says so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so? A lot of times all they're using is the, the dad and then the oldest boy and then his oldest son and then his oldest son. Not every time, but many times that's what it is because the firstborn is very important. He, he's the, he, he gets the inheritance, he receives the blessing, he receives the name. And what God says is Israel is my firstborn son. That makes no sense unless we understand how Israel came about. 
Israel was not the first nation. You with me? I just need to make sure you understand. Israel was not the first nation. There was at least 70 nations in existence after the flood. God had tried to tell them, go across the world and, 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 and fill, fill the world with my glory. But they decided to build a tower. They wanted to make a name for themselves. So God confounded their languages and spread them out across the world. And these family clans began to spring up everywhere. And God looked at all these family clans, these 70 nations, and said, none of you are serving me. None of you are serving me. I'll make my own nation. He makes his own nation. What? Yeah, so think. God takes this man named Abraham who has a wife that has, is barren. She can't have children. And he says, Abraham, you're the perfect person to start my nation. Um, we can't have children. I know, this is gonna be great. Go outside and look at the stars. That's how many kids you're gonna have. Lord, this makes no sense. I know, it doesn't make any sense. That's the best part of this. It's all my work. God gives Abraham and Sarah a child. His name is Isaac. Isaac marries a woman whose name is Rebecca. Guess what's wild about Rebecca? She's barren. She can't have kids either. How are we gonna make this nation happen? The first woman can't have kids. Now the second woman can't have kids. Isaac goes and says, Lord, please give us a child. God gives him a child, two of them. In fact, Esau and Jacob. You know what happened when they were boys? The, the Esau sold the birthright to Jacob. And Jacob receives the birthright. He receives the blessing. He receives the inheritance. He receives the namesake from Abraham and Isaac, even though he's not the firstborn. He receives it. And, and, and he has 12 children. And Jacob, at some point, his name is going to be changed to Israel. And Jacob is going to become the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. This is how God is creating his nation. That's why it's his nations is his firstborn son and those people his nation of israel get his inheritance the promised land get his blessing crazy enough and this is a side note but jacob's or joseph jacob's favorite wife her name is rachel she's barren too this is ridiculous God gives them a child. His, their firstborn together is named Joseph. And God uses Joseph to pick up his firstborn from the promised land and move them to Egypt. It's ridiculous how God does this. But now what we find out is that God comes to Pharaoh and says, those people that you are oppressing are my firstborn. They have my blessing. They will get my inheritance. And I tell you, let my son go so he can serve me. You see, they were serving Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a king. Pharaoh was an oppressive king. All he wanted to do was oppress them. God was a king. God wanted his people to serve him because he knew he was a king that would bless them. And then he makes this statement, Pharaoh, if you refuse to let him go, I will kill your firstborn son. And I know we're thinking, oh, that's not very nice of God. What's he thinking? Hey, listen, if someone took your firstborn and they had them in sex slavery and sex trafficking, how, to what lengths would you go to free them? Because that is exactly what was taking place in Egypt at this time. 
They were under an oppressive king who was, had them in slavery and no doubt had them sexually, had them as sexual slaves as well. There's no question about that. And God says, let them go. If you don't, I will take your son. So, so here's, what's, here's what we're coming down to. This firstborn son thing is really important. So now we get to the three strange verses. Let's read them. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Hang on a second. Did God not just get done telling Moses at a burning bush, you're the man. Throw your staff down. Put your hand inside your cloak. You're the man. I'm going to send Aaron to you because you're my man. You're the one that's going to lead my people out of Israel. You're the guy. Did he not just get done telling him that? And now it says the Lord showed up to kill him. Hmm. That's very interesting. Why in the world would God do that? There's an echo here. In the book of Genesis, that man Jacob we talked about, remember we said Jacob sold his, or Esau sold his birthright to Jacob? When they were two boys and when Jacob received the blessing from his father, his brother Esau got really, really mad at him and said, I am going to kill you. So Jacob runs and he goes to this place called Haran and he lives there for 20 years and he has, has these wives and children. And then God says to him, he says, Jacob, go back to your father's house. Right, you with me? Jacob, go back to your father's house. So Jacob starts to make this trek down to his father's house. And guess what happens along the way? God comes to meet him. And they have a wrestling match. And during that wrestling match, there's a question asked of Jacob. What is your name? Now, I believe it's Jesus Christ. The Bible says it's the angel of the Lord. It's not like he didn't know what his name was. So he wasn't asking his name to be like, I don't know who you are. Who are you? No, no. The name, the question was, Jacob, who do you claim to be? Because the last time Jacob had been asked, what is your name, was by his father. And his answer was, I'm Esau, your firstborn. But now when the angel wrestles Jacob, he says, I am Jacob. And it's almost like I'm the deceiver. I'll admit this is who I am. And when the angel hears that, he says, your name is no longer Jacob. You are now Israel. You are a prince with God. It was all about identity. And I believe what we're about to read, where God shows up to want to kill Moses, is all about identity. Because here's the thing about Moses. He had had three father figures in his life. And he lived as three different people so far. He was, born a, he was born an Israelite. He grew up in the palace as an Egyptian. And he had spent 40 years as a Midianite. He had an earthly father. He had Pharaoh as his father. And now Jethro was this very important father figure to him. And God is basically, in my opinion, as I've understood this and studied it, God is coming to Moses and saying, who are you? Are you an Israelite? Are you an Egyptian? Or are you a Midianite? Who are you? Why is that important? It goes back to the firstborn son. So when God talked to Abraham, long time before, and God gives this 
blessing to Abraham and says, your kids are going to be like the stars of the sky. Here's, here's what God does. He says it's going to be 400 years until they come back. So here, can you think with me about this question? How are they going to know in 400 years who's in the family of Abraham? How are they going to know that? 400 years later? Like, I know I, we, have, we have family on Ancestry.com. We can go back a few generations and know for certain who it is, but like 400 years, they're supposed to know who's in the family of Abraham. Well, God came and God said, I am going to, I'm going to show you a mark. It's in Genesis 17. This is what he says. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. This is God talking to Abraham. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And verse 14 says, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So God has said to Abraham, you're my firstborn. You get my blessing. You get my inheritance. But the only way you get that is by being marked. And being marked was what happened to young baby boys. Their flesh was cut. But God says, and if you don't do it, he says it right here, if you don't do it, you will be cut off. So you have a choice. Cut the foreskin or you get cut off. It's the sign of the covenant. And so after studying this out, what I really think is going on here read it then Zipporah took a flint like a stone knife and cut off her son her son's foreskin and touched Moses's feet with it and said surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me so he that's God so he let him Moses alone I'm gonna pause right there so the verse before this God had showed up to kill him and that it's, there's this portion that says God let him alone. What happened in between? Three things. Three things happened in between. One, Zipporah cuts off the foreskin of her son. Now, this is not an eight-year-old boy. This is not an eight-day-old child. This child is grown. He has a younger brother. And what likely happened is when Moses fled Egypt... Moses and he, he met Zipporah. She's a Midianite. And, and, and basically, I would think that as the two of them got together, Moses thought, I have no need to include my family in the covenant family of God. I've abandoned my people. I've run. God won't want anything to do with me. I don't need to worry about the covenant fam being in the covenant family of God. We don't need to circumcise our child. But then God showed up at the burning bush and said, I'm choosing you to be the leader of my people, which means Moses needs to be the leader of his people. And he needs to be one of those people. And so Zipporah, his wife, takes and she cuts the foreskin off of her child. And then the second action she takes, it says she touched Moses' feet with it. Now, depending on what, what version, what translation of the scriptures you have, like the King James will say, cast it down at his feet. That word cast down or touched is going to be used again in just a moment. And I'll explain it. But what we know is that means it's applied. 
touch Moses' feet. Now I gotta be real careful when I say this. Feet does not always mean those things with five toes in the Bible. In Deuteronomy 28, a woman gives birth between her feet. Okay, you with me on that? We know that it doesn't come between her feet. That is a cor- there's a correlation going on there between an important part of the body. So what Zipporah does is she, touch, she, she cuts the foreskin off of her son and she applies it to Moses' feet. Because very likely, having grown up in an Egyptian palace, Moses had never gone through Hebrew circumcision. Therefore, Moses was outside of the covenant family of God. Moses' son was outside of the covenant family of God, but with his one action, Zipporah cuts off her son's foreskin, takes that blood, and applies it to Moses, and then says, you are my husband. Through this blood, you are my bridegroom. You are my husband. So here's, here's what happens. Zipporah cuts the foreskin. Now this child, his name is Gershon, becomes a part of the covenant family of God, takes that blood and applies it to Moses. And we think, I don't know, but, but Moses, God then lets him alone. So we've got to say that blood was applied to Moses and God allows it. And then Zipporah says, through that blood, I'm your wife, you're my husband, I'm in this covenant too, and the family of Moses is brought from outside the covenant to inside the covenant, and then it's like nothing ever happened. The, the story just goes on. I'm like, this is so strange. It's not so strange. Guess what? Moses is going to tell the people in Israel to do when God comes for the firstborn of everyone in Egypt. Go take some blood that's not yours and touch it to the doorposts. It's not your blood. In fact, for you firstborns inside You're not even the one doing the plying. Someone's applying it to you. But here we go. The blood has been applied. Everyone inside that house now is inside God's protection and is is under God's blessing where everyone outside is not. And we see that just like Moses goes, is in the water and he goes through the wilderness and he's got this oppression. Moses is living out Israel so Moses lives out Israel's um, history. He does this too. Moses lives out Israel's Passover himself. Amazing. And then we like, well, does Jesus fit in here anywhere? <laughs> does Jesus fit in here anywhere with blood and being applied and passed over and being brought? Yes. But see, Jesus, who truly is the firstborn of the Father, the one who receives the Father's blessings and inheritance, he's not saved. He's not passed over. His blood is shed. 
And his blood becomes the blood we must apply to our lives in order to be brought into the covenant family of God. Hmm. It's all about identity, obedience, and relationship. Identity, can I just say this briefly? There's a lot of Christians who fail to identify with God. We want to be like Moses. One foot in, one foot out. We'll go to church sometimes. We'll give sometimes. We'll do, hey, listen, I'm so, Devin, I am so proud of, where'd you go? Where's Devin? I'm so proud of you and Dawson. I am so proud of you guys. Thank you so much. For, because what they did today is they said, I'm in. I'm in. And that's what every one of us should be saying. Our identity is we line up with what Jesus wants. And obedience is important. You know how important obedience is? It's so important that even though Moses had a miraculous calling on his life, God was not going to let him finish that call if he wasn't willing to obey. And Moses is actually saved by his relationships. If you think about the women that saved Moses' life, Moses was saved by his mother when she hid him. He was saved by Pharaoh's daughter when she took him out of the water, saved by his sister when she brought him home, and saved by his wife here when God came to kill him. Moses was saved so that he could be a deliverer, and I have no doubt. Hey, if you're a mom or a dad in here, you may not be the deliverer. You may not be the one who does amazingly great things for God, but you might be raising the one who does. So be involved, get engaged, wholeheartedly obey. Identity, obedience, and relationship. Sorry, the cross was not behind me. We moved it. Identity, who did he identify with sinner? Or who did I stink? I just gave you the answer. Uh, who did he identify with on the cross? Sinners. He's the son of God. Perfect son of God. He identified with sinners. He perfectly obeyed his father. Perfectly obeyed his father. But then he died so that we could have the relationship that was his. But it comes through one way. The blood applied. If you're here today and you think, I mean, I just, I just need to be a good person and I'll get to God one day. I'm here to tell you, I'm, gr I'm really glad you want to be a good person. That is not the way the scripture says it's the way to God. It's a forgiveness of sins by the son of God so that we will follow God. That's where we need to be. I think these four strange verses become one of the most beautiful gospel messages in the entire scripture. I have no idea if that was what the Lord wanted me to say today or not, but man, my heart has been very full. Thanks for letting me share that. Let's pray. Father, I pray that, I mean, Lord, I just pray that there would be those who are here today and we just we rejoice in the work of the blood applied. We, 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 see, we see our lives and we see as, as Christians, we want to identify with the world. And we, but we also want to be identified with you, Jesus. 
Lord, I pray that we would just step out. We, we, might be of the, we, of the, we might be in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. And Lord, I pray that we would be obedient. You laid your life down. That was your obedience to the Father. And then you called us into obedience and lay your life down for others as I have laid my life down for you. Because there is no greater love. That identity of being in Christ means there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That obedience that says, I, I want to do the will of the Father. I don't more than I want to do my own. And that relationship. Father, I have no idea. These two young men that got baptized this morning, they didn't get baptized because they did everything right. There were people in their lives that were pointing them to you. And Lord, I pray that you would use Devin and I pray that you would use Dawson to point others to you now that they have committed their lives to you. And I pray that we as believers would live lives that say, I want to be a part of the family of God. And I know that comes only through the blood being applied. You lifted up that cup, Jesus, and said, this cup is the new covenant. It's not... Well, we're not entered into the family by circumcision anymore. We're entered into the family through the blood of the Lamb of God being applied to our lives. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't understand what he did for you in making a way to the Father. I'm going to stand down here at the floor and... We're all gonna stand in just a moment and we're gonna sing that song one more time before we leave the blood applied in, in church as we do. I want you to think it's, it makes us sons and daughters. That's so cool because that's what we just saw. It brings us into the family. But if you don't know that you're in the family of God, that's something you can know. And I'll be standing down here. I'd love to share that with you. If you're a believer, if you're a believer, I'm ask, how's that commitment to being identified with Christ? You'll probably be rejected at times. You'll probably be made fun of at times because he was when he identified with us. How's that obedience as a follower of Christ? Halfway? Partway? And then how about that relationship? Who are you pointing to become a disciple of Jesus as you become a disciple of Jesus? We need that relationship. Take just a few moments at your seat and would you talk to the Father? Would you thank Him for the blood applied? Thank Him for the invitation of being into the family because of Jesus. Commit to him that you'll identify with him this week at work, at school, at home, wherever you are. That you'll obey as he speaks. And that you're going to talk to somebody, the relationship. You're going to grow in Christ with someone. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for the blood applied. Would you stand with me? I'll be on, I'll be at the I'll be on the floor here. If you have any questions, I'd love to chat with you. Otherwise, let's let's sing.